The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Choosing gentleness. Choosing presence. Choosing compassion for ourselves and for others. Choosing to experience this breath, this one right here. Sometimes we might need more effort to feel and connect with the breath. And other times, less. So as we begin to find the right amount of effort for the conditions in our minds and hearts right now, allowing the mindfulness to grow And the samadhi or the concentration will just arise. Inviting a connection to peace, to well-being. And allowing space for it to rise up, to manifest in its own way. And then noticing it. Breath rising, breath falling. Noticing the scenery, noticing the things that populate the mind and letting them just move through. Maybe even witnessing their arising and passing, the perceptions, the emotions, the ideas, the sensations. Inviting a connection to the awareness of it. Inviting the mind to relax and appreciate the process, the release, the lessening, the softening. 
With the next exhale, imagine you're letting go into peace. And letting go again into peace.
And taking a minute to relax into whatever relaxation is present for you. See if you can't settle into a unified sense of being, of wholeness, of receiving any pleasant sensations or feelings that are happening. calling to mind your whatever level of aspiration or focus of aspiration you have from this path. Any aspect of wanting to be released from the grip of greed of hatred and delusion. I'm calling back to mind this idea of no one being superior, no one being inferior, no one you're equal either. Why would I say no equals? When we think of equals, the mind calculates and compares. This is the comparing mind, which there's no peace in this mind. So if it's possible, and if you're interested in doing so, in a moment, inviting yourself to open eyes that are eyes of seeing the uniqueness, the expression of whatever life is in front of you without comparing, without valuing and judging, but to receive, to open, to notice how it touches you, where you feel it, The Eightfold Path is called the Noble Path because of the integrity and the dignity it bestows, allowing life to have its own expression, its integrity, giving, allowing dignity. Practicing this path develops an open mind, an open heart, and an open hand. May this openness be of benefit to the whole world, all beings without exception.
Thank you for your practice. I think that um, what's next is a talk by Chris. Mm, Thank you, Tanya. That was beautiful. Yeah, so I'd like to offer some reflections on the territory that we've been through in the last 10 months and also where this path has the potential to lead us, which Tanya was bringing up for us in her meditation. Now, this is the eighth time I've been through this program, and every year it's, it's richer and more, more wonderful. And uh, the end of the program always reminds me of this labyrinth at this place where I've managed retreats for many years in New Mexico, where they have a labyrinth, which when you walk the labyrinth, at the end of that, then it sends you out on this two-acre meandering path over the whole property, with little, very artistically designed little stations that you stop at and reflect on the qualities that are represented on those stations. And there's some overlap with the path and many other, the Buddhist virtues, you know, things like compassion and equanimity and discipline. And it's a different list, but it's the same at heart. And wandering through this, this place, finally you come back to the station of wisdom and you find yourself back at the labyrinth, but it's on just a slight rise, maybe maybe three or four feet higher than the labyrinth. There's a bench called Wisdom, which you sit, and you get to look over the labyrinth, and you see, you have this whole perspective of it. And that always reminds me of, you know, even from two feet up, you just have a more perspective on what's going on. So uh, a year of working through this path has given us this ability to maybe have a couple feet of perspective on our own minds, right? On the labyrinth of how our minds and bodies and hearts all work together to just at least begin to see, oh, I can look at this. I can see how it works. I can see how it colors and filters my sense of reality and how it really determines our internal degree of clarity and integrity. And from that, how much caring we can offer to the world. So just having that, having having walked this path once and having that little bit of perspective, it's just incredibly valuable. So what is what is maybe the essence of this perspective? I think it's about becoming sensitive to noticing within ourselves what activities and attitudes lead to this kind of felt sense of clinging, craving resisting and holding and when we're just when we're open and when we're at ease and when there's a sense of a free flow of information and decision making and action and all that so you know you can probably see many times during the year when you you've got a taste of this so observing you know even in retrospect what it felt like what does it feel like to say something hurtful or to do something even slightly harmful, like, you know, kill a spider or something. You might have noticed that you have to tighten up, or maybe you have to mentally kind of shut down and dim your awareness and turn away and turn a blind eye. Noticing 
noticing what that feels like for you versus when you have a more wholehearted engagement with what's happening and openness to what's happening. So getting sensitive to that, this practice gives us this guide and this orientation and this these sort of guardrails that keep us heading in the right direction. This felt sense of are we heading toward more dukkha, more suffering, more clinging and craving and resistance? Are we being guided by greed, hatred, and delusion in some way in what we're doing? Or are we heading toward more freedom and more ease, wise action? Are we, do we feel guided by wisdom and interest and caring and curiosity? So this, this skill, this theme begins to rise out of all the different path factors. And we begin to recognize for ourselves what is what is meant by wholesome and unwholesome. But how can we tell whether when are we feeling like we're feeling wholesome or we're feeling unwholesome? It's almost like a holistic sense that relates to the word wholesome. A holistic sense of does this feel right or does this not feel right? So this this turning away from always struggling with our internal experience and trying to repress it or get it to be what we need it to be to really just looking at it, observing it, looking at our motives, understanding our relationship to what's happening. So you might have seen over after, you know, this year of working that maybe you turn more quickly to taking a deep breath before you say something when, when your urge to respond is triggered by some remark that is hurtful in some way. Maybe you're more willing when you're in a bad mood to have some patience with it, to explore it, sense into it, try to understand it instead of immediately turning to numbing out and escaping from it. Maybe, maybe you find yourself more easily able to turn to compassion or also a sense of resolve, a sense of equanimity with what's happening, resolve to do your best, compassion to what's happening, very different than a sort of just being caught in unending mood swings with, in response to everything that's happening this year and in the news and all the time, really. So the path has given us these eight tools, eight aspects of practice that we can use so that we can stay more inwardly grounded and in touch with where we're coming from at the same time as we're more sensitive to what's going on around us and what, without losing our inner balance and without losing our integrity. I happened to see this little TV clip the other day where uh, Conan O'Brien, you know, the white TV host, was he was talking with W. Kamau Bell, who's a black comedian that I hadn't met before, but now I, I'm, I was quite taken with him. And Conan asked him if the protests these days were making him hopeful. And what he said was, if you're looking for hope, look for it in engaging in the work, not in images and moments. And I thought that was so beautiful and so relevant to what we're doing here. The steadiness of staying on the path, of knowing that you're engaged. You know, I find myself certainly caught up in hope and despair and swinging back and forth, watching what's happening, trying to imagine what's going to happen and all that. And it's so wise to say just... You know, hope comes from doing the work. Hope comes from staying on the path and engaging. So what is this work of our path that 
helps us develop this wisdom and resilience, gives us the energy for the long haul or, or to face the short haul or whatever we have in front of us. We don't know to face the unknown of what's in front of us in our lives. So these path factors that we've been working with all year, they're guides in this way for our continuing engagement and practice. And they also become deepening fruits of the practice and refuges in a way, refuges in a sense, when we need to know what to do, we have these eight, these eight places that we can turn for refuge. So just looking back for a moment at right view, this karma understanding that our actions of mind, speech, and body, that they have consequences, and that in each moment of presence, right there, and really only right there, we have the opportunity to influence these consequences. So we can examine these deep-seated, conditioned views and beliefs, and we can begin to discern what is wholesome and what is delusion. Another aspect of right view, this deeper understanding and insight into how things are, it's reassuring to know that it's not just you that finds life challenging, right? I love this uh, Ruth King in her book, Mindfulness of Race. She kind of summarizes the, the deeper understandings of the Dharma as nothing in life is personal, permanent, or perfect. And I, I love that translation of uh, what we begin to learn. So there's a refuge in looking at our view and understanding that, that like everyone, we have conditioning that we can look into and that there are limitations on how, 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 it's, how happy we can be until we really understand not taking it personally, not expecting it to be permanent, not expecting it to be perfect according to our views because, you know, all, whatever it is, several billion of us have slightly different points of view on what would be perfect. So it's just never going to line up exactly. So in terms of intentions, there's a refuge in your own wholesome intentions. You can have your, you can look at your intentions and you can know that you're doing your best in each moment to put something into the situation that's, that's wholesome, that's coming from a good intention. And then, and then we keep learning and we keep looking and studying the results of our intentions. So if our bigger intention is to get wiser, then we take in the feedback from how our intentions actually worked for ourselves and for others. And we learn how to make wiser intentions in the future. And we keep going with this process. I think uh, ethics, the ethical factors of speech, action and livelihood, becomes much more internally motivated the more it's not so much about should anymore or what somebody else thinks we should do but the more we practice the deeper we understand that it's really it's rooted in who we are it's rooted in our the bliss of blamelessness as the expression goes of of seeing how good it feels to act in a way that's in concert with wisdom and 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 compassion it's really a benefit to the world and benefit to ourselves. So that finding that, that sense of the inner motivation of our ethical behavior frees us up from a lot of mental, mental uh, agonizing over should and shouldn't and who says and what the rules are and so forth and gives a great sense of freedom to, 
to express who you are and what you want to put into the world in a way that's really wholesome. Effort becomes not so much a straining kind of effort, but just an interest, an ongoing, an ongoing love and interest of learning to be gardeners of our own minds and gardeners of our own hearts and knowing that this is a crucial aspect of then being able to be wise gardeners and contributors to our communities. Mindfulness gives us this safety, safety from inner and outer harm. Mindfulness, inner safety, being aware, for example, of how many of our harsh inner voices, how they're conditioned, how they're imprinted, how they're phenomena that need not have such power over us. If we can be aware of them, that thought is just a thought, that voice is just a voice, that feeling tone of unpleasantness is just unpleasant. We don't need to just obey the messages of all those things. We have a little space to bring in wisdom. And then we provide outer safety by becoming more able to catch these habits of mind before they give rise to unwise speech and action that then continues the cycle of suffering. And concentration or samadhi, it brings this balance, stability, steadiness, the harmless pleasure, the joy and happiness of having a mind and body at peace and in harmony with itself, well-being, ease. So these factors are, there are ongoing practices and they become more and more refuges that we can turn to as we, as we go along. But concentration is not the end-all and be-all of this path, right? This is a path, it's interesting, this path is opening us to deeply freeing insights that we can't, their insight is not exactly a practice, like you can't do insight, but we can work on all these things and that all these other factors give room for deep insights to arise. So this path you know, it's both a path in the sense that it's good to be on it. It's a, it's a way to be in the sort of wilderness of our untrained minds. But it's also going somewhere. It's going to liberation. It's going to complete freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. And Tanya beautifully invited us to reflect on what would that possibly be like and to be inspired by that potential that this path has. So sometimes this is expressed as the, that the path spirals and when we get to deeper concentration brings up deeper right view, which leads to deeper intentions and so forth. And it goes like that. But in a couple of uh, suttas, it's expressed as two more factors that really spell out how this deep and lasting transformation arises. And this is the teaching that's sometimes called the tenfold path. And you have a little writing from Gil in our, uh, in our, uh, on our webpage where all the other writings have been that where's his take on this tenfold path. So those extra two factors are called right knowledge and right release. So let's explore those a little bit. When all the factors of the path are well-developed, they're all brought to some level of maturity, 
then the path can deepen into right knowledge. So the Buddha says, for one who is concentrated, there is no need to intend, may I know and see things as they really are. It's a natural law for one with a concentrated mind to know and see things as they really are. So when these factors are mature, we're actually getting to the point where it, the path begins to take on a life of its own, so to speak. And there's less of us doing it and more of it, it's being done to us and insights can arise. So you know how it is to know something in the mind at an intellectual level and even to have a heartfelt wish to be able to act on that. But frustratingly, you still act otherwise, right? You have your conscious intentions hijacked all the time by various subconscious motives, things you don't really understand. I was struck by the example of my father who smoked a couple packs of cigarettes a day for most of his life. And, you know, he could read the warning labels. He knew perfectly well that this was not good for him. He would even cough. He, would, he knew. He tried to quit several times, could not quit. And then one weekend his doctor said well i see some spot on your on your lung here and we better have that checked on he had an appointment you know for monday so he had the whole weekend to live with oh they mean really oh they mean me oh this is not good he never smoked again it didn't turn out to be anything so it it happened to he happened to be lucky but just that 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 getting it on some level like oh really it just, it changed, it changed that roots of behavior somehow so that he was able to not behave that way again. That it just changed the balance of his mind so that the motive for not doing this was way stronger than the motive for continuing to do it. So this is a mundane example of right knowledge. This deep, direct experience that reaches way into the wellsprings of what actually arises in our experience. You know, what, what comes up that is way beyond our conscious control that actually runs what we do, our motives of our thoughts and our impulses and our feelings and our emotions. So this directly knowing, it deepens very gradually. This felt sense, the deepening realization we see over and over again, we see directly, we catch in the moment that motives that lead toward certain kinds of self-centered grasping are actually not serving us. They're actually painful. They don't deliver on the promises that they've made. They actually hurt instead of bring long-term happiness. And we see this, the more clearly and precisely we see this, the, more, the deeper the transformation. So concentration allows us, that samadhi, that settled, still mind, allows us to see what's going on, almost like frames in a movie where we can see, oh, this arises, and just there, that's where that's going. I have a computer science background, so I think of it as kind of getting down to where you can actually kind of debug. Not you do it, but it does it itself. It's a self-debugging process. So it's like it sees, oh, it, it's going, oh, it's going there. And it just learns it doesn't need to go there anymore. You know, and then maybe next time it doesn't go there anymore. So to me, it sometimes feels like something that used to just take over. 
it rises up a little bit, but it, nah, it just doesn't get any traction. It's just, oh, that's not worth it. Why would I take that up? You know, some, something that's could be a little bit irritating or could be something. It just, nah, it just fizzles out. And then it fizzles out more and more and more until finally it just doesn't arise anymore. So I've seen that happen with many little syndromes that I was hung up on, envy of certain people having certain things or feeling bad about certain aspects of my inability to be whatever I wanted to be. Just seeing how much those used to hurt and how now they're just fleeting little thoughts or certain, some of these thoughts just don't even occur. I'm just happy for the people that I used to envy. And so it slowly, slowly, slowly transforms. So in this way, right knowledge leads to right release. So for most of us, there are layers and layers and they unfold very gradually. This inner magnetism of reactivity gets weaker as we get more deeply settled into trusting a sense of inner ease and peace. So, um, you know, but then when something is ethically important, something is difficult but appropriate to do it's not like we're turning into a puddle that never does anything but the action that arises out of that it's anchored somehow in a deeper clearer place it's not panicky it's not personal it's not whiny and demanding it's not you know any of the things that maybe speaking for myself I used to experience in relation to the urgency of making something happen it's not like that. It's a sense of inner strength and resolve that you can call on more and more that just that doesn't hurt you in the, in the action of, of working toward whatever you want to work toward. So as right knowledge matures, there's something like, I don't know, tipping points is a word that's in the, in the culture these days. Things get to the point where you really you really begin to see that nothing is worth clinging to. Nothing is worth clinging to. So after you've been through this many, many times, something in the mind is able to kind of generalize and get it, <laughs> disable the whole root of that's, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I have not done this. I'm speaking theoretically here of my understanding of where this path is going and the potential in this path is to see that really nothing is worth clinging to as a self centered organism and it gets that and this is often expressed in terms of a sequence of four steps of impermanence dispassion cessation and relinquishment and actually those are i think accessible to you to see how do you give up any habit you know you must there are things you've let go of in your life you're not still playing with dolls and little soldiers and whatever you used to play with as a kid, you, that's lost, you've lost interest in that or something, you know, maybe many of you have probably given up a lot more serious things than that. But um, impermanence is where we begin to see the, the falsity of the false promises and the unreliability of this clinging is not bringing us what we want it's just not it's just not that and out of that arises this dispassion that it's just not it's not worth it it's not satisfying it doesn't buy the message of the promise of that positive feeling tone that comes from the image of oh let me just have one more drink or one more cigarette or you know do something one more time you're not buying that and then 
you can experience the peace. The cessation is experiencing the peace of when that doesn't happen, when that doesn't arise. Directly learning to trust. Oh, I'm great without that. You know, it feels good without that. I don't need that. And then relinquish, relinquishment is really this release and letting go. Having experienced this often enough, something in it, it's like the inner program just disbands. It gives it up <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. And so this, you know, this is a little model of how giving up anything kind of works. And it just gives up deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, I have a lot of faith that I don't see the end to how how far this could go in letting go of things that are still, you know, still arising and still bothering me. And I, I think it's gives me a lot of faith. So this relinquishment, this release, there are some, some similes in the Buddhist teachings for how complete this can be. It's like a pot that's been turned upside down and all the water has run out of it. You know, it just, you're not going to be able to put that water back. It's like seeing how a magic trick is done. Once you've seen it, you're just, you know, you can't unsee it. You know, next time you see somebody doing that magic trick, you, you're watching how they do the trick. You're not ooing and eyeing at the fact that the lady's been cut in half or whatever. And then seeing a rope as a snake. If you mistake a snake for a rope, once you realize it's a rope, it's not going to scare you again. The fear is drained out of it. So this is the kind of right knowledge leading to right release. Knowing what's really there leads to the release of the delusion of being afraid of it, of being wanting, thinking you need to have it. And of course, this unfolds very gradually. There's a, a couple of models that I've found helpful over the years. There's this teaching that I used to hear of sudden insight and gradual cultivation. So like that moment of realizing, oh, that's not a snake, that's a rope. That's a sudden insight. But then actually it might take you a while to, to remember that for bigger situations, more emotional situations. It takes you a while to cultivate that insight. And then another metaphor that's given is that of a rotting rope. That's like a, a rope coming from a ship onto shore that's slightly in the water, just year after year, or maybe it's out in the sun, baking in the sun, year after year, each little, th the little threads get softer and softer, and they begin to break a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit. And you can't necessarily predict or say what is the moment that that rope is going to collapse, but eventually it will, because the practice has been weakening and weakening all those little fibers that are in it. So then eventually... Living the path becomes an expression, more and more of an expression of the awakening mind. So it's not so much that we're practicing the path, but that the path is just who we are. We have, we've lost all motivation to do anything that isn't right speech and right action and so forth. So there's the simile I like, the simile of um, the heartwood, the heartwood of the Bodhi tree is what we're after here in this path. It's a long sutta that goes through, don't settle for the twigs and the leaves, don't settle for the outer bark, don't settle for the sapwood, but keep practicing, keep the faith that there is a heartwood of this tree. So the holy life doesn't have as its reward gain, offerings, and fame. I think that's maybe from a 
point of view of, oh, isn't it cool that I'm a Buddhist practitioner or, you know, if you're a monk, have it, how easy it is to live on alms food or get, get gifts from people. It's not about that. It doesn't have as its reward consummation of virtue, meaning identifying like, oh, aren't I good? You know, I'm, I'm identified with being good and I know what being good is. That's not, that's not the end exactly. It doesn't have as its reward the consummation of concentration. Oh, blissed out. I'm, I'm so peaceful and blissed out. It's, that's not the end. The end is the unshakable deliverance of mind, the sure heart's release. I like those translations. Those are two alternate translations of the same phrase that really speak to me. Um, this is the purpose of the holy life. It's heartwood and it's end. So still, the way to right knowledge and right release, these are fruits. These are not things that we can say, we can't make them ripen and drop from the tree until they're ready. So we hold our slow progress with patience and with self-compassion. I'm going to read a couple of quotes that I like to keep in mind that I might have offered in the beginning of this program. From Paul Fleischman, peace is a dynamic product of the way you live, committed, forgiving, and patient. It's not a safe platform, but it's a direction recurrently renewed, a devotion and a discipline. So this is orienting our lives to being on this path. The path, maybe this ultimate freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion is our North Star, and we're heading that way, and it really doesn't matter how far you get. What is more beautiful to do with your life than to become as wise as you can become and as compassionate and as kind and as clear as you can become without getting hung up on whether you're there yet in terms of an ultimate goal? Alobhikkhu Bodhi says, the only requirements for reaching the final goal are two, to start and to continue. So we have started and may we all continue. Thank you. So we have, what time is it? We are running early, which is great. Why don't we take a 20-minute break now, and we'll come back at, uh, that would be 10 till 11, more or less. Is that right? Yeah, 1055. Yeah, 11:10:55. Come back at 10:55, okay? And we'll have a group breakout discussion. So please come back promptly at 10:55 because that's when we'll do the breakout magic and we need you to all be here then. Okay? See you. See you at 10:55. You'll just, once we go, you'll just be sent into your groups and uh, then you'll get a message when it's time to come back. You'll kind of need to do your own timing. So please make sure that everybody in the group has an equal amount to uh, has an equal chance to talk and we're going to have about 20 minutes in the group.
What are we so, going to talk about? Well, that Bruni's got Bruni. Go ahead and explain that. Yes. So I, I will give you the the question for inquiry now uh, to everyone to you, Kumi. So here is the question. I will read it uh, twice so that and and I will put it in the chat too. <clears throat> Um, how has your engagement, how has your engagement with the Eightfold Path increased your sense of ease, increased your sense of ease and confidence. How has your engagement with the Eightfold Path increased your sense of ease or confidence in daily life situations? In daily life situations. So I will read it one more time now, the full question. For inquiry, how has your engagement with the Eightfold Path increased your sense of ease or confidence in daily life situations? Okay. Okay, so now we can... Well, we can go ahead and do the magic. I just love this part of setting the, you know, the breakout groups. We just go like into cyberspace and where, you know, with some, you know, someone else or anyways, my Star Wars, Star Trek conditioning. Okay, um, Chris, you can take us where whatever we are supposed to go. Okay, here we go. Okay, so is everyone back? I think, yes. Okay, so we are going now to harvest, do the harvesting of uh, our inquiry in um, the, the, all the different breakout groups that we had. And the way in which we're going to do this is that if you... Um, if you wish to share, you know, any comments, what did you learn? How was it for you? Uh, celebrations, protests, anything. Um, you can raise your hand physically, like I'm doing right now, or you can use the feature um, that Zoom has to raise the hand. And the way, we, you, way you can do that, if, if you go to participants, and you go into, you see in the, at the bottom of that window that opens, the first icon in the lower left side is a hand. So you can use that feature too. And then um, Tanya kindly <clears throat> um, uh, said that, um, um, She's going to look for, you know, she's going to see who is raising the hand and call it so I can be focused in, in being with you all and, and respond or um, acknowledging your comments. Okay? 
Okay, so here we go into the harvesting. So how was that? How, um, who would like to, to start? And, and also, actually, if there's anyone that uh, feels more comfortable uh, uh, putting something, uh, I don't know if you have access, access to the chat, but um, maybe, maybe it will be better just to do it, you know, as we go, um, take it as, uh, as, a, as a gesture of generosity and, and knowing that we're all in this together and maybe we can share uh, verbally um, how it was for you. So who would love, who would love to start? <laughs> There we go, Donna. Okay, got to unmute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe I should ask a question first, though. Um, when we're in these groups, someone said something that I found very striking. Is it okay to repeat that, or is it is that considered like a is that something that can be repeated? It was a positive thing. You, you can you can say that in you know in our group the, yes. there was some comments yeah if if okay. there's no you know um, permission ahead of time yes I think it's I think it's actually pretty harmless but um, I have usually heard the expression inviting something to tea um, largely in a way that's don't invite you know so it's if you're in the course of meditation and your thoughts, you know, it's okay to have them come and go, but don't invite them to tea. That is the most common time I've heard that expression. And today I heard the expression inviting the eightfold path to tea. And it was a really positive um, use of an invitation to tea. And I thought that was quite wonderful. So I thought, wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. We're sharing, you know, what did you, um, what was harvested in your cultivated, in your breakout groups and what impacted you and, you know, what everything that you want to, to share, how, how has your engagement with the Eightfold Past increased your sense of ease or confidence in daily life? And any other comments? Anything else? Nancy Mitra, has her hand up. Mitra, is your hand up or are you covering a light? Okay. All right. You saw somebody has a hand up, Chris? Nancy. Hi. Uh, in our group, Hi. we just were talking about the um, amazing transformation since the beginning of our uh, course to today um, just in – you know, our worlds have been upside down since we first began. Yeah. And I can't 
really imagine having um, gone through this without this particular uh, support and practice, uh, a way of examining, you know, our own um, journey on the path. And I think I was telling my group, I didn't even get the very first topic that we approached. I didn't really even understand it until maybe a couple weeks ago. And, you know, examining what some of my fundamental beliefs are and whether they were actually helpful or hurtful. Mm. And, um, you know, just the eightfold path in terms of, um, you know, equanimity practice of meta practice of uh, learning to deal with the level of grief and anxiety and isolation and, all of that is um, been personally so helpful to me. And um, the breakout groups actually have been one of my favorite parts because you're making, you know, your Kalyanamita friends and, you know, the support of just having other people practicing around you is um, so supportive that, um, I'm just really moved by it. It has been very, very moving for me. So thank you. And Ryan has his hand raised. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Um, for me, I really appreciated um, going through each of the folds, you know, one fold each month and uh, getting in depth to it. And it really kind of helped me focus my practice and uh and i think just overall that attention helped me to uh step back from situations that would cause me to be stressed out or reactive and uh you know i've kind of cultivated more the ability to um to pause and to focus on what's happening in my body and to bring my attention to my breath and not take things personally and not have to try to fix everything. Um, and then in the group, uh, people shared uh, one person who had been through this course a couple times. Um, and another person shared about the different practices that they do to, you know, kind of complement this, this work. Um, and I think that those, you know, kind of hearing that, you know, really highlights the, the depth that we, um, have with this practice. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, like going through the eightfold path one time is just, you're really, you know, we're really just kind of skimming the top and, uh, you know, just kind of go back to it and get and get deeper into it. And that's with, you know, and then there's just so many other practices that we can also draw upon to uh, help uh, cultivate our, our path to uh, liberation. Um, and it's really nice to have this Sangha to be able to share that with, um, you know, like to, for me to share my experiences and then to hear other people's experiences because everybody come, comes at this from a different way has different experience and different approach and it's really nice to hear those um those different paths and to see what you know i can apply for myself thanks thank you ryan thank you deborah has her hand raised 
Okay. And let's, let's, let's um, take a moment, like just seeing how like all of us are like, like Nancy, Ryan, Deborah, and, and Shona, like, ah, you see how we're walking together, you know, harvesting. Yes, Deborah. The, I totally agree. Uh, the, the Sangha aspect is, is so critical along with the Dharma teachings. And particularly, I find the mentoring, which is the closest I have to a teacher, has been phenomenal. And particularly in the beginning, because um, I'm in uh, another city right now, and Zoom has kept me tethered to... Uh, IMC and ISC, and uh, the mentoring provided a different conversation. I try to manage the news. I try to manage my partner's level of fear and anger and anxiety. I try to manage uh, addiction in a child. I deal with, with energies that are so different from a sense of ease and peace and equanimity and the conversation with a mentor is been it's it's just catapulted my mind outside of my little mind and uh, as well as clarifying you know having the conversation about the practices but his perspective and his level of awareness has just expanded for me what is not present uh, in my environment. So it's, it's been really, really invaluable. And, and I just thank you all for providing the program and providing the format to support us during this remarkable time of isolation. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, just listen, listen, like, you know, as, as we're listening to the words also, like, like how this confidence and this like is being cultivated by just like seeing all the benefits that, that we're getting from the program of being together throughout this time. Yeah. Mitra. Um, it's just been so helpful to look at, look at things as not good and bad, but as wholesome and unwholesome and how I have the, um, how my actions and how, um, my actions have, um, consequences and how they're translated into the, um, to this ease or on, or this ease that I'm partly creating. Just being able to see that has been really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mitra. Thank you. And Andreas. Hi. Um, this is was the second time around for me that I did the Eightfold Path and I shared with my group that what I really realized this time around is the power of intention. If I was able to find that space and reflect on what's my intention here, what is, is it a wholesome intention that's going to benefit 
uh, it's going to be of larger benefit. It's or is it something that's driven by, you know, some not so wholesome emotions? Maybe that it was that it made a huge difference in um, my confidence to act. Um, if I if I had reflected on the intention and I was convinced it isn't you know it's a wholesome intention, then um, I had more energy, more calm. And also, I think less attachment to the outcome actually. Um, so it was that was kind of my big, um, my big realization from this time around. Thank you. Thank you. Betsy had her hand up. Thank you, Tanya. Um, since it it seems likely that we may not have the benefit of your really lovely opening guided meditation. I wanted to recall, um, I found it tremendously connecting um, to connect as you did the in and out breath with the rising and falling of feet on the ground. And as I was staying with that, um, I, I found it, it connected to, um, Thich Nhat Hanh has talked about meeting the ground with your feet as if your feet are kissing the ground. And so my orientation was towards that kind of gentleness. And, and so it really fleshed out the, we use the word groundedness a lot in the practice, but it, it allowed me to feel into the fertility um, of the ground underneath. And then over, over the period of the practice, a meditation, I found this arising of a, a depth of thanksgiving and an arising of thanksgiving. So first of all, I want to bow to you um, and your wonderful cohort of teachers. This is a profound, profound class, and I just feel so lucky to have a part in it. Um, as for how that also translates to some of the learning that has um, I have seen happen this year, um, the moments that I meet... I, I have I have discovered new parts of Betsy in these moments that I meet. And sometimes I don't bring the full skillfulness of this practice to some of those moments. And I have seen that borne out in the tremendous pressure cooker that we have been living through in the last couple of weeks, especially. Um, and the orientation of curiosity and cultivation has been the stronger, whereas in the years past, it's not like it's gone, but the orientation to, oh, um, this is not the position of a, of a practicing meditators, don't do this. Uh, now it's more like, wow, what is wanting to be expressed here? What is, what is the drive here? What is going on? And reorienting to that just manifests in an, um, an abundance of 
a sense of protection, safety, um, and from that wiser action. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see Ram's hand up. First of all, thank you for the teachers. First of all, so inspiring through the course. Ryan and my team beautifully summarized what we discussed. One thing I wanted to add was uh, this program completely changed my mind on how I look at things, right? One of the most profound things I want to share is a while ago, a long time ago, I read a book by Martin Luther King Jr. called Strength to Love. Okay, I'm rereading that book right now. It's amazing how much new information I gather from it. It's about conditionality of my mind has changed so much. The very first chapter, Dr. King talks about being tough-minded and tender-hearted at the same time. <laughs> right? there some powerful learnings of this program is applicable in those writings as well. I'm very, very grateful for having the opportunity to take this program. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ram. I'm not seeing any more hands. Okay. Okay. So maybe just taking in... <clears throat> And naming how it is for you receiving all these fruits of your effort and commitment and companionship on the path. Maybe we can do that together by sitting a few minutes before going into lunch. So let's... um, Establish awareness into whatever posture you want to take to be here right now, aware. Just tune in to see how all this land and, and how it is to be in meditating for the next, um, let's say, five minutes. Five, ten minutes in silence. To end this meditation, we share the merit of your efforts, your commitment and dedication to cultivate your mind and heart, to harvest 
fruits that will benefit you, that will benefit others, that will benefit us, your loved ones, your communities, cities, countries, everyone. Everyone without exception. May all beings be free. May all beings be happy. May all beings know peace. May all beings know peace. What a joy, what a joy to be in this path with all of us. So um, so now we're going to have lunch and as, as, as if we would be at IMC, we would, you know, this or at IRC, um, we will have a social lunch. And so the, the, the hall or the Zoom room will stay open if you want to bring your lunch and share with others. And so uh, take your time to prepare mindfully your, your lunch. And if you wish, you can come back um, to the room and share with others that will be in too. And, and if not, you can also, whatever supports you during this time, you can also eat in silence uh, or with your loved ones, whatever you are. And so we will be back at um, 11.15, 11.15, Chris, right? And one, one 15. I, I'm one sorry, 1.15, <laughs> yes. We'll be back at 1.15, okay? So thank you, everyone. See you back at 1.15 and have a wonderful nourishing lunch. Take care. Okay, so um, we're starting with, uh, do we give you more minutes or do we start? Um, well, let's have a little sit, you know, we could do that, sit, sit okay. a little bit quietly and yeah, then we'll have that panel. Or if you want to guide, that's fine. No, that's fine. Bit. Then let's just do that, um, like kind of a settling silent sit just guide you or just remind you of establishing your awareness with this body there is a body through the body mind heart
And being aware, being aware of anything that shows up for you, going back to the breath, the body. If you get distracted, just softly bring back the attention to this moment by bringing back the attention to the body or the breath. Been here, aware, as this body breathes in and breathes out, breathe out. receiving physical sensations. Receiving maybe a thought that comes and goes. Or maybe a sound, like the sound of my voice. Receiving emotions. Receptive. (coughs) To what shows up. Receptive to how life shows up for you. 
as you're established in, <clears throat> in awareness. As you're here, resting the attention and loving awareness. Thank you, everyone, and um, now we're going to pass to uh, Chris. Is that, yes, yeah? Oh. Yeah. <coughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So what's up next is a, a little bit of a panel presentation from all of us teachers chipping in some things about on the question of what's next. A lot of people have been asking, uh, you know, what, what can we do after we've taken this program? So I'm going to cover uh, the, the answer to that that involves future program offerings through IMC, and then we'll see what the others have to offer. Um, the first thing, of course, is that many people, as you've been hearing, have taken this program more than once. So you're welcome to take it again. We'll probably be, I'm certain we will be offering it on Zoom. It will probably stay on Zoom all year because probably we'll admit people from, you know, around, around the country that have become devoted IMC followers. So imagine that will be true. So you could think about different ways to engage with it if you took it again. For example, maybe you had a private mentor this time, one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you could have a group this time. I imagine we'll be having groups will be easy 
easier to organize because of Zoom takes the location element out of the puzzle. So, you know, you could consider that or you could consider maybe you have a group of friends or people that you've met in the past that you'd want to form a group of your own and kind of go through it with or without being formally involved in the program. Or you could do a little bit of both. So, so um, that's a way to think about taking the program again. It certainly can deepen your experience of it the second time around. Then um, there's a, a program that uh, David Cohen and Jennifer Lemus and I will be offering in the fall on what's called the Eight Worldly Winds, which is a look at these pairs of worldly conditions like pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, high and low status. So the, the, the way the world tends to affect us, and it'll be a chance for us to look at some of the basic Dharma understandings that help us work with how to, how to face those vicissitudes of life. So that'll be a monthly meeting on Fridays starting in September. So you can look at that one. And then there's a couple things happening that are for people, they have pretty steep prerequisites. So some of you would certainly meet these prerequisites, but I think they're asking for four years of practice and something like three or four retreats as a prerequisite. So Diana Clark is going to be teaching the Entering the Stream program again next year, which is a really deep dive into Buddhist uh, philosophy and the Buddhist understanding, the, what are the Buddha's teachings around uh, the deeper teachings around impermanence and not self and qualities like that. So that's a great program if you meet the prerequisites. And then there's a program that's got, it's even maybe more advanced that Gil's going to be offering for people who took the deepening meditation program this year. There's a follow-on program called the Path of Fearlessness. So um, that's one possibility. Also, Andrea Fella, a great follow-up for this is to get involved in Andrea Fella's um, daily life practice programs. And she's offering a couple of non-residential retreats. The way she does this is there's a morning and evening meeting, and there's lots of group discussions around how you're practicing in daily life. And all of her teachings are oriented toward practice in daily life. She's going to have that in um, August, third week of August, and in the middle of October. She's got two of those planned, and she may have more as the year goes on, but those are the two. So there's one idea that's a great thing to follow up. And for those of you who haven't been able to get on retreat or have a hard time getting into, have had a hard time getting into IRC, there are, Gil is offering a couple of short retreats, one in July and one in August that are especially for beginners and everyone is welcome to come. And so that would be an opportunity to sit with Gil uh, for a few days in those will be on the schedule of either uh, insight retreat center schedule probably is where you should look for those. So, um, you know, and there's so much Dharma online these days. Uh, maybe you're kind of aware of how rich, what a rich time it is to sit different kinds of retreats and hear from different kinds of teachers. So Bruni's going to talk a little bit more about the experience of online retreats and how to, how to make the most of that experience as a possible next step, if you haven't done that already. So in brief, are there any questions about these programs, these program offerings that are coming up?
Yes, Susan. Everything will be listed. It's not currently listed. It's going to be in the future listed. Everything on the site, correct? Yes, right. We're kind of in that midsummer transition where the old programs are finishing up and we haven't got the new programs in yet. But keep an eye on the IMC website, especially the year-long program section under right. program. If you're looking for a longer one of these longer programs that I mentioned, that's where they'll be. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. The um, short retreats with Gil, you said it's in the Insight Retreat Center in the um, on your website? I think that's where it would be. He told me they're August 22nd to 28th and October 10th to 16th. And, oh, no, I'm sorry. Those are Andrea's dates. I'm, excuse me. Gil, he didn't give me the dates. He said one in July and one in August. I think they'd be on the IRC, the Insight Retreat Center website. I think yeah. they're full already. Yeah. Yes, they're there. They're there. I saw them. I saw the posting. Okay. Well, I would go ahead and apply. They. I don't know if they're going to have a limit on it or not, but look quickly and if you want to do that. I, sure I would just that. add, I, this is Leslie, I would just add, that recently they've also allowed, since the retreats are online, they've allowed for auditors and that's Uh expanded the capacity slightly. And there's some ways in which they're looking at making the online retreats available to a few more people through the use of that auditor status. Uh You get as much time one-on-one or in a small group with a teacher but you do get the actual retreat experience. And I just did one as an auditor and super, super rich. Yeah. Good, good. That's good to know. Yeah. And, and stay tuned because I, you know, they're trying to respond to the need. And so there may be more of these retreats that are open for beginners throughout the year. We were still kind of working off the ones that were live that were live and full, you know, that recently, and now we're moving into an era where we can, specify some new ones. So keep your eyes open for those. Thank you. Chris, uh-huh. I just wanted to note that uh, those online retreats for Gil, I think they're on the IRC, IRC website and they do have a new online retreat uh, page that you can find in the bar on the, on the side. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And you can get on the, the email list so that you're notified as soon as something um, becomes offered and that way you don't have to keep going back and checking and wondering, oh, did I miss something? So unless you're feeling totally overwhelmed with emails, I love getting those IRC uh, emails. Thank you. So, yeah, so all of those are going to be online and is that because of COVID or... Were they online before? That's what I'm curious about. It's still because of COVID. Uh, Gil Gil has the feeling that Insight Retreat Center might be one of the last places to open up because it's, you know, a large group of 50 people sitting in a room breathing together and eating together. And so it's probably going to be later before we open that up. And also we're talking about trying to find a way to keep the online component available. So, you know, maybe recording retreats so that there can be, as Leslie was saying, auditing from online or so there's a lot of discussion going about how to keep 
even when we resume live retreats, how to keep some online offerings going. Yeah, IMC will be the last place in the United States. will be the last country. <laughs> well, I don't know about IMC, but I, IMC will probably open before IRC because of just, you know, we have an older population, frankly, of people who come there and it's quite a crowded little room and a lot of people. So it's one of the situations that's more difficult to keep safe. So well, that's Gil's view of it. We also have to think about it involves sharing rooms in some cases, sharing yeah. bathroom facilities, yeah. meals in relatively small quarters together. Right. Um, so there's a very, very different dynamic than there is just in a day uh, uh, center. Yeah. Okay, let me turn it over to Bruni for what she wants to add to this. Okay. To the question of what's next. Okay, so I just want to um, talk about, you know, this, this new way of being on retreat uh, via online. <clears throat> and, um, you know, there, there have been many times I've heard uh, different people and even myself saying, um, how, can I, how can I bring the practice to my life? How can I be, you know, I cannot go on retreat. <clears throat> and I think that the opportunity here, the invitation that we're having is, I, I know that a teacher called uh, COVID-19, uh, Aja, Aja COVID-19, like a monastic, like a monastic, that is coming on is coming to our lives to teach in some ways uh, Tanisara and Kitasaro I'll call in COVID-19 in that way. Well, there are uh, teachers that were monastics at some point. So there is a beautiful opportunity here to cultivate the conditions that we cultivate when we decide to go on retreat and adapt those conditions, cultivate them in a way that also nourish our lives, that integrate this retreat practice to our life in a way that is supportive of, of our lives and people that live with us, if you live with anyone. So there are different things that we can do um, for that. You know, it's like almost like bringing like, uh, for example, when we're at IRC, we have a Sangha service that we all work together um, on and helping something, doing something for 20 minutes. And so we can bring that to our homes, like bringing, you know, having 20 minutes of doing something fully present for that. Uh, task. So in that same way, we can also think about other things that we can do to, um, to be on retreat when we're at home. So for example, talking to um, family members and letting them know that you're going to be on retreat or um, having food prepared before or knowing that you're going to prepare your food and making that part of your lunch meditation, um, <clears throat> um, making decisions to use your cell phone after 
the retreat. Um, you can also incorporate uh, some of things, you know, if you're working and there are some things that you cannot, um, you cannot put on a side, how you can make, how you can be fully aware where you are engaging into conversation. It's almost like engaging into the eightfold path in daily life too, mindful speaking. So, um, you know, is this a great opportunity of exploration to see what supports you, what doesn't support you? It is encouraged when um, we're on online retreats now. There's some requirements sometimes that the teachers um, have of, you know, uh, maybe being present for the guided instructions and for the Dharma talk. And then as you can, you can uh, set the structure of the retreat. Uh, the, the schedule is sent, uh, usually it is sent uh, ahead of time so that it, you can plan it. It is supportive so in that way so that you know what you're going to be doing, how the retreat is um, structured. And in that way, you can integrate your uh, daily life activities into it. And, and then there is this intimate part where, you know, there's also breakout groups. You know, there may be some retreats that there are breakout groups at the end and at the beginning. Uh, so, and there's the unique opportunity, like Leslie was talking about, that, you know, there may be more accessibility in the sense that you can be an auditor, meaning that... Um, you will not have an interview with a teacher, uh, but you still can participate. You can in the retreat, you can be sitting in the retreat, you can be uh, uh, you can be part of the guided instructions and the Dharma talk and all those things. Um, <clears throat> So setting the conditions, is this, you know, is this part of the practice of how it is that I can cultivate conditions for being on retreat and uh, at home? And, and now it's like, it is becoming a reality that, that yes, that our practice and our retreat practice can be part of our lives. So um, I, I will encourage you to, Take advantage of it if you have the opportunity. And they're going to be like, you know, like uh, Chris was saying, there are many now opportunities through not only IRC, but other retreat centers. And this aspect, I just want to say, someone mentioned it in the chat, and I just want to mention it, that we also have considered these uh, Dharma talks, um, are recorded there are some privacy issues that uh we need to look at and that you know on retreats that people are aware that not everyone wants to have a video recorded so um you can um you can ask those type of questions if that is the type of concern that you have um Sometimes the, the teachers are the only ones that are recorded or, or that, you know, the, the video is shared with the Dharma talk or other times the teachers prefer as having taught online retreats already. Um, 
there may be the preference or of just sharing the the talk. So I think that 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 may be enough. Is there anything anything else in particular about online retreats that I have not covered? That any any questions about it? Okay. So I pass it now to Chris for for me uh, the next oh to Tanya yes yeah yeah, yeah. um so first I guess I'll just say you know Chris had this really great list of all these topics that we could con could could kind of cover you know around this question of well what next for each of you what next you know what what is your practice calling for now. You know, what, what would support your staying connected or deepening your practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this is sort of the idea here is to kind of provide you with some information and aspiration and, and access to possibilities to support what's next for you, each of you. And um, so some of the things that were on Chris's list, and there's just no way to cover them all thoroughly, but you know, were things like, well, how do we become more, you know, aware and deepen our daily life practice? How do we deepen our meditation experience? How do we bring our, our practice to social action, social justice? Yeah. Um, and I don't have the whole list in front of me, but there were other things on her list. And, um, so one thing that came up for me was how, um, taking the refuges, if you haven't gone forth to take the refuges, that it's a, something to think about, um, where you take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, where you kind of make a commitment to the five um, precepts the lay precepts. And if you're not familiar with those, they're kind of embedded in the Eightfold Path program, but they're, you know, not harming, committing to not killing, committing to not taking what's not offered, committing to avoid harmful speech, right? Which is one of the path factors we spend a good amount of time on. Committing to not engaging in harmful sexual behaviors and committing to not intoxicating the mind. All of those things, I think, are um, can can be reminders or pointers or guide posts that can help us engage in whether it's in daily life, in social justice action, or in our meditation practice. You know, are we harming ourselves by how we're striving in our meditation? Okay, there's the precept right now. I commit to not harming myself. Let me back off of my striving, my effort here. You know, if we're doing social pro protests and we're actively engaging in social action, you know, are we engaging in wrong speech? for the right cause, but maybe causing more harm. 
can we do, can we bring sort of that open hand, open heart, open mind with wisdom to our engagement with difficult issues? You know, in the Dhammapada, there's a, a verse about how hatred never overcomes hatred, right? doesn't mean we need to be passive. doesn't mean, mean we don't take action. But how do we bring, you know, wisdom and the precepts and this guidance and the Dharma and the Buddha and the Sangha with us into the world, into our daily life? So that, those were some of the things that kind of inspired me. And I want to also sort of suggest that, Andrea, if daily life practices where you really want to nourish your heart, then Andrea Fella's daily life retreats are really phenomenal. They're super, super helpful. Really, really good guidance and practices that are kind of like, in a way, those weekly emails you get in the PATH program. Really helpful. And, and obviously, online retreats are really good for deepening your meditation, right? And then in terms of social action, IMC does have a few, a few groups that are working on climate issues and book groups and other things. And maybe look also into your life. Look for groups and places that you can bring your practice to affect change in your work or your community. And I think the last thing that I want to say is really um, a little bit out of context in a way, but also feels important in, in some ways, integrated ways. I just want to say to all of you, to any of you, I want to ask your forgiveness for any, any ways that my presence, the way I speak, what I've said has caused any harm. And to me, this is another way of bringing the practice into life, into our relationships, of being open and receptive and wanting to acknowledge that sometimes the way we engage, sometimes the timing of what we say or, or even who we are because of other things that have nothing to do with us can cause harm to people. And so... I invite any of you to share with me any ways that I may have caused you harm. And I ask your forgiveness. And, you know, thank you. Yeah, that's all I have to say. And Leslie, I think you're going to share a little about, um, I guess. Being someone who is associated with Insight Santa Cruz, I want to say first of all, that um, we have a very rich array of both everyday and longer-term teachings that can help to sustain your work with the practice. I, when I pick out a couple, it's in no way saying that that broader array wouldn't equally be supportive of your path practice. But for a sense of depth, I... I think the the parallel to what you're describing about some of the teachings at IMC might be what Kim Allen, one of our teachers, offers in terms of the integrating Dhamma class that she'll begin in the fall. Structured, has a kind of uh, depth 
of of Dhamma knowledge and and um, richness and involves how that can be integrated into our lives. So a little bit like what Andrea does. Kim does that not only for people at Inside Santa Cruz, even when we're not online, but um, through some of the other teaching that she does. And, and you can find access to information at Inside Santa Cruz on our website. And if anybody has any further questions about that, I'd be happy to put you directly in touch with Kim, who can tell you a little more. One of the other offerings that's kind of unusual, but has been reported to me to be very rich for a number of people, and I've enjoyed it when I've subbed and taught it for him, is Bob Stahl does an ongoing series, it's usually him, sometimes other people, on 32 parts of the body. And it's an unusual angle for coming at the teachings and the path, but that sense of really realizing where we literally embody the path of our practice um, and reflecting on impermanence and change and many of the most important characteristics of our existence through the 32 parts of the body for many people has been a rich experience. So you might want to look at that one also. One of the other ones I would mention, I checked with our teachers, our guiding teachers, um, and, and those were the two that they highlighted. But I would like to add also the practices that integrate movement and mindfulness. So what, for example, Marcy Reynolds does in her Qigong class, there's something about that integration of mindfulness and movement that helps us to carry some of the teachings of the path into very everyday aspects of our lives. And I think that can be enriching. The only other thing I'd say, and then I'll wrap up, is for anybody who's been involved with the path program at Insight Santa Cruz, and particularly those who I have mentored, I will be offering a follow-up group. I'll put word out to those who were my, quote, mentees because they requested such a group. But um, I would be happy to, with the agreement of that group, include other people in that. And we'll, we'll get together on Zoom once a month and have online materials and resources on a weekly basis, kind of following the same structure as the Eightfold Path Program but very, very much focused on the informal ways we actually live our path. I'm looking at Jim and smiling. I'm the one who's all about everyday living (laughs) and kind of the heart parts of the path. And so I'm really going to highlight that in this um, ongoing Right now, we're saying maybe four months, but we'll see how it goes. So more like a spiritual friends group, but with that structure. So if anybody's interested, let me know. And I'd be happy to see about including you in our mentees group. And I saw you smile back at me, Jim. Yeah, 
we we enriched each other with some complementarity in our approaches to teaching. <laughs> and any questions about availability or anything else, I'm happy to uh, follow up with anybody. I guess I would say one other thing. If you've had a mentor, talk with your mentor about what is tailored best to you and your needs, because there's no single way. This is great, great transition, right? The next thing we'll do is breakout groups. Um, and the question for us, and I will do it in the chat box, but um, I'll, I'll share it now. Um, the question is, you know, what areas or practices have been the, have the most momentum for you right now? Where is there the most momentum? And, you know, with that, what are you most inspired to carry forward and to cultivate? So we've kind of covered some ways, what's next. Just really th thinking a little more deeply about, for you, where is there momentum? Where is there energy? And one way I like to say this is, where is it easiest right now? Where is it sort of naturally manifesting and coming up? And can you follow that? Can you take that and let that lead you further and expand perhaps? So that's the question or the, there's kind of two questions, but focused in the same way for your breakout groups. And um, I'll go ahead and send it off. Um, I don't know if you can, can they get the chats when they're in the, in the breakout groups? I'm not sure. I th actually have a feeling that last time I tried to do that, you couldn't. So I'll start typing now, and we'll see how it goes. Um, sometimes it can be a really powerful thing to um, say out loud um, what your aspirations are. You know, so um, if you would like to share. Um, something that came up for you that you want to pursue, um, maybe something you appreciated about the breakout group. Let's just start with that, and then I'll open it up for other comments as well. But let's just see if there's anybody who um, feels a sense of uh, readiness to share some sort of aspiration or goal. So just like with when Bruni was um, doing the uh, cultivating or the harvesting, you can just raise your hand like this, or you can use the, the little sign at the bottom of the chat to raise your hand to let us know if you have anything you'd like to share. I see Laura. Please feel free to share, Laura. Just uh, simply, I feel... Um, inspired to keep up or find ways to have connection with with the community um i've been dabbling in buddhist concepts for years and reading books and occasionally going to a day-long retreat this program is the first time i really committed to a length 
you know, something committed to something. And it's been extremely powerful. But the I'm so delighted to realize that there's this community of people who are looking at all this together. And it's just such a beautiful thing. So that is my aspiration is to find, you know, ways to ensure that I'm working that those connections um, into my life. So thank mm. you. Thank you. Nice breath there with that one. Mm. And our group talked, Morgan had all, she's been doing retreat after retreat in all these places that are far away. She does them online. And I thought that was cool mm. because I'm, I'm doing retreats on this thing called <laughs> Sounds True. They've had some retreats I've done and there's also um, Spirit Rock has retreats online. And there's a lot with COVID now, I think a lot of places that don't usually, didn't in the past offer them, are offering retreats online. And so we shared some ideas of where to go. Morgan was full of a lot of good ideas. Nice. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. And um, we've got Barry, Barry. Barry's had her hand up. So let me go. And then I see Leslie. So Barry, please feel free to share. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk in small groups. Um, Cause I'm always interested in how, how, how people are doing um, their practice or furthering their practice. I need to work on uh, improving concentration I need um, I think I need to lengthen the time of my sits but I'm really really interested in um, finding daily life activities that I can do wakefully or mindfully or in a a concentrated manner I recently uh, started doing time reading you know reading for 20 minutes to see how many times my mind goes other than what I'm reading. Um, but uh, I, I'd like to get more information about the uh, one, I don't know who was a retreat or a course. I looked for it when you all were sharing about it, but I couldn't find it. So The daily life practice retreat with Andrea Fella? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. um, that, I think, would really help me mm-hmm. a lot. So. Great. I'll see if I can find the info and send it to you. I'll get more details from Andrea. Great. And just so you know, that would be on the Insight Meditation Center website. So if you were interested in, you're not Barry and Chris is sending it out. um, You can look on on the IMC. It might just be on the calendar. I don't know if it'd be listed. So you might just want to look into, uh, I don't know, look in mid to late August on the calendar. See if you see it there. What were the dates? I thought you had, what were the dates of her retreats again? August 22nd to 28th and October 10 to 16. Okay. All right. Thank you, Barry. Was that it for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Okay. All right, Leslie, I saw your hand. Well, actually, I was with... Mm-hmm. I was in the small group with Barry and we found that the three of us in our group shared 
equanimity as an area of focus and inspiration. Mm. And we spoke some about what that meant as a formal practice and in an everyday lived sense. And I was noting just the beautiful sense I had that by age and background and living circumstances and everything, the three of us seemed remarkably different, and yet we were living examples of shared humanity. Seeking equanimity woven into our everyday lives and felt as a kind of self-nourishing as well as a way to be with others. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. Hmm. All right, Susan, please. Okay, so I really loved our group and um, I felt like we talked about, um, there was the topic of, you know, mindfulness and the topic of letting go and um, I don't know, I just felt very moved by what I heard and the commitment of the members of the group that to really step forward and really that this had been something to really help them, you know, look at something from a different perspective. But I also wanted to say something else, and that was um, we've been talking about bringing, you know, practice into our daily lives. That's come up a few times. Uh, A a while back, Gil gave a talk on um, a topic, and it has stuck with me since then. And it was, um, we talk about bringing practice in our daily lives. It was the talk he did on bringing our daily lives into practice. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> sentence uh, is what the Eightfold Path experience has been for me. It, it, and I was earlier trying to pinpoint it, but it's like, oh, the Dharma's here. Mm-hmm. The Dharma's here. And I, oh, and and now walking with that, it just changed. That's what this experience has sort of done. Mm-hmm. I realized it's now, it's here, it's in my body. It's, it's here. So anyway, I just wanted to, that little sentence, bringing my daily life into practice grounds me really fast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was it. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that um, I'll just add that for me, um, doing a home online retreat um, helped me find the monastery in my home or the monastery within, right? That just, that that's for me a real gift of doing this retreat practice in my home is, oh yeah, same thing that you're saying here is it's right here. It's right here, you know. I I would just add that I've been, because I'm blessed with being retired, quote unquote, and I have done home retreats for a period of time. And I looked back at a journal recently. I'd done one in November, one in December, one in January, and then wham, (laughs) the pandemic and lockdown. And I thought, 
I've been practicing being ready for this sheltering in place. And in a sense, it was humorous, but it was also just very, very rich to realize my home retreats had helped me prepare for this kind of shift in circumstances. Great. So um, I don't see any other hands, so maybe I'll just broaden the question and just see, you know, is there any other feedback, any final questions or comments? This is your time. We've got about another uh, six minutes, and then we'll be shifting to the final bits of our our day together, some loving-kindness practice and uh, a couple other little things before we end. So questions for each other, questions for one of the teachers, comments, feedback. I I have a question. I've got – oh, sorry. Okay, so great. So that's okay, Rebecca. And then, Michelle, I see your hand is raised. So go ahead, Rebecca, and then we'll go to Michelle. Well, I guess I just sort of had this awakening here that there, you know, I always go through Insight Santa Cruz website, and it's kind of dawning on me that there's a larger Insight meditation website that I had no idea existed. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, Betsy talked about um, – and Susan about a, a 7 a.m. one through Red, Redwood City and I and the a- Andreas course I imagine that's a different town than where I live and so it's been um, great to hear I mean it just expanded the resources so thank you and learned something totally new nice <laughs> thank you I think it's important to remember that. That's another example of how so much suffering and difficulty have come to us through the pandemic and sheltering in place, lockdowns, et cetera. And yet we've opened access to a whole new world of Dharma resources online. Michelle, would you like to share? I um, I, I wanted to say thank you to all of you teachers Um, I'm a remote student from the beginning. I'm in Wyoming and I'm here courtesy of uh, dear friends that are also here today with us and taking this program, Antonio and Susan. And um, I just, it it was interesting for me to be remote from the start and then everybody sort of became remote along with me. (laughs) Um, And so then joining and seeing everybody's faces is, is a new experience and a more enriching experience for me, you know, so I'm coming at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. But um, I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of you for your dedication and your um, sharing your talents and your, and your insights and your information. Um, I found this in, it just extraordinarily enriching and I'm look forward to engaging with, with, with all of you, if possible, you know, as we move forward on this program and, and with a deeper, more meaningful and easy life for each of us. So my deepest gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Mm. And Nancy, I see your hand raised. Thank you. 
Um, yes, thank you. I, um, I echo what Michelle just said. Um, I uh, am profoundly grateful to the teachers here and the sharing of uh, not only your wisdom, but uh, the compassion that you've shown everybody and the generosity of your teachings. So thank you. Um, I'm wondering if uh, the teachers have uh, recommendations for outside of uh, IMC and IRC. I know a lot of people uh, do talks and um, classes with Spirit Rock, and I'm wondering if there are other uh, platforms or uh, groups that you recommend or endorse or whatever. Bruni or Chris, do you want to have any answers? Yeah, the, the other main center that's in our tradition, uh, sticking with the insight, the Theravadan insight tradition, would be um, Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. So you could go to dharma.org. That's their website. And they have uh, also the affiliated with them is the Barrie Center for Buddhist Studies that is offering a lot of stuff these days. So that's one thing. Um, I've noticed that Insight LA has a whole bunch of programs going that are, have a very social action focus if you're interested in that. So um, those are a couple things that come to mind. Anything else? I would just echo about Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, especially now they are making offerings online. I just finished one of the richest courses I've ever, courses of study and practice I've ever done with a teacher named Venerable Analio. And he taught on the four foundations of mindfulness over about a four month period of time. It was just incredibly rich. Um, so yes, I think IMS, Insight Meditation Society and Barry Center for Buddhist Studies are great additional resources, especially as they're offering more online. I would say that although um, it's not within our tradition, there are many pretty rich offerings that are complementary through um, Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe. Joan Halifax teaches with a number of people and has a kind of a broader view than than many people associate with Zen as a different uh, area of practice. But there's tremendous amount online and Dharma talks available through Upaya, U-P-A-Y-A, Zen Center. U-P-A-Y-A. Okay. I don't see any more hands. Let me just give it... Oh, there we go, Antonio. Hi. Please share. Hi, I was just inspired by the by what the Michelle said and Nancy and all of you guys have done for us, and it just reminded me of something I was reading from Tignatan on how the, the whole universe is supporting us, like uh, from the technology we have here, from engineers from all over the world, from physicists that created it and and from the food that is feeding us and people from all over the country and 
all this sea just makes me feel part of that sea universe that is supporting us. Hmm. Well, if, that's, if that isn't the best last statement before we go into meta, I don't know what is. So, Bruni, why don't I hand it over to you? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a beautiful segue to our uh, meditation on loving kindness. And with that, I, I want to cultivate what, what Antonio just, um, the seeds that Antonio just planted, actually, by um, first becoming aware of our bodies and being here. Establishing whatever posture supports you in your practice, walking, standing, sitting, or lying down. And feeling the breath, body breathing. And so finding within this body, as it breathes itself, any place of ease, any place where there's some relaxation, any place, it could be a toe, it could be somewhere in your legs or thighs or torso, just feeling that place of goodness being breathed. Recognizing the goodness within this body, mind, heart of yours. Manifested as ease, manifested as changing manifested as nature. Maybe feeling that energy of goodness of kindness 
expanding a little bit, expanding a little bit first and then expanding, suffusing your body. Reminding you of the kindness within you. Turning on that self-open within you, that warmth, basic warmth within you, in your heart, in your mind. Maybe if it is supportive, you can place your hands in your heart, in the chest area, or, you know, sometimes for me it's in the chest and in the throat, just to remember of this voice that can support others too. Just feeling this body, mind, heart, breathing. Supporting others to breathe. Becoming aware of what Antonio brought here, bringing the universe, bringing your faults, your faults meaning your teachers, ancestors, People that love you, bringing them into this circle, opening the circle to this universe that is supporting you, that is supporting us. Bringing pets that show love to you. Bringing everyone that has expressed kindness in one way or another. Any, anything in the universe, the plants, the animals, the natural world, this earth, Loving kindness expressed in different ways. We all express loving kindness in so many different ways. We can give it and we can receive it. Bringing all 
all peoples, past generations, the carekeepers of this land, wherever you are, Taking a moment to take in that loving kindness, that kindness, that sense of being seen, respected. Supported. And now all of us here together, sending that sense of loving kindness out to radiate to any other benefactors, to families, your communities, to other cities and countries. To strangers, Letting this loving kindness open our hearts, open our minds, soften and melt the barriers to send loving kindness even to difficult people or even to not difficult, maybe people that we have challenges with. Loving-kindness has that power as the power of opening, supporting our meditation practice for clarity and insight, for wisdom. Radiating loving kindness to all beings everywhere, without exception, as you can, without exception, without forcing it. Recognizing we all count. We all count recognizing every life matters. Recognizing gratitude for the teachings 
for the times that we can start over and over again. And just in case this way of radiating loving kindness sometimes is possible or sometimes is not, we also have the phrases that support us, that bring us back to our intention. Starting with ourselves so that we can offer it to others. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be safe and at peace. Sending the rippling of these phrases to everyone in this circle, everyone that came in, that joined us. Sending the rippling of these phrases to strangers. to beings we are challenged or that are our teachers too. Sending the phrases to all beings. May all beings be happy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be at ease. And receiving, noticing how it feels in this body, mind, heart. Take a moment to tune in. As you breathe in and breathe out. And may the benefits and the fruits that we all harvest here benefit everyone. And now sending everyone that we invited, sending them out, release them to the world with all these fruits so that everything ripples out and is shared.
May the benefit of these fruits of your practice be experienced by all beings. May all beings be free. May all beings be happy. May all beings have peace. May all beings know peace. Oh, I pass it now to Chris. Thank you. So we usually conclude this program with this somewhat lively and physical ceremony of giving a scroll of the Eightfold Path to each participant. I wish we could get up and jump around and do it physically like we usually do. Or I wish I could tap each screen and transmit this to you instantly somehow. But <laughs> yes, reach, reach out and catch. But instead, what we will do is, of course, we will email you a copy of this. And um, I'll just show you a little bit what it is. It's a scroll of the... Uh, all eight factors summarized with a nice little background picture. It looks especially nice printed out on off-white colored legal paper, like buff color legal paper. If you can, if you want to make yourself a souvenir, I'll just put up a screen share briefly of this uh, summary of what we've done together here. Whoa, so we have the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So, oh, it's been a wonderful year. Thank you so much for your beautiful and sincere practice all year. And I hope we meet again. I hope to see you on the path and around and on Zoom and in person and every which way over the next few years somehow. So let me just end by once again sharing the merit, the merit of our work today together, the merit of our 10 months of very sincere engagement with these eight factors of wise and compassionate living. May all the beautiful energies of our practice radiate out with immeasurable impartiality touching everyone in the whole world. May all beings be happy. May all beings be well. May all beings be safe. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you all. Thank you all so much.
Thank you, teachers. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Bruni. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We equally would like to throw our arms around each and every one of you. 